Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR Episode 2. We are back. Gigi Broadway is with me as always. Gigi, how you feeling? Feeling great. Feeling great. Gigi, you had a birthday. Let's not front. Let's not. Let's start this this off the right way. And we have to say happy birthday to Gigi Broadway. Appreciate it. Gigi, you had a wonderful birthday, I'm sure. What did you do? (laughs) (laughs) Now he knows. A day I, ago, do, I, I do know. told him I was in my room the whole day. I was sitting in my room like Brandy back in the day. You know what I mean? Just just sitting. I can't believe you. You know what? That's what so let me let me ask you this then. What are you going to do for your birthday, Gigi Broadway? I already had my birthday. I told you the VMA, the VMFA turn up we did was my birthday. I I I, I turned up pre pre birthday. Okay. Okay. Well, Thanks, happy- by the way. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. We're wishing you very wishing you many, many, many more. I'm alive, I'm breathing, I'm walking straight. We have a very special guest joining us today. Tressie McMillan Cottom is with us. Yes. She is my friend, my sister. She is a decorated professor at VCU. I don't even know what she does at Harvard. She has affiliations at Harvard. Uh, and then let's not even talk about this the book, Lower Ed. Got the name right. No, Tressie is, uh, you know, writer, contributor for The Atlantic. She is amazing. She is going to be joining us, Gigi, for all of our We See It, our We See It section. And basically, she's just the Queen Empress of Wakanda. And this is why she's here today. We're going to talk a lot about Black Panther. This is our Black Panther episode. Uh, I thought the music movie was fantastic. We'll get into that. Gigi, you can tell me what you thought of it (laughs) in a little bit. But thank, oh, thank God we have Trusty with us. We have Trusty with us to talk about Black Panther and all of its glory. Right now, we're going to start the program as we always do with a little section called We See It. I will go up first. Gigi, is that all right with you? That is fine with me. And I'm going to start with just a, a, a special shout out to all the amazing kids uh, in Parkland, Florida, uh, the survivors of the shooting their parents their teachers they did a cnn town hall yesterday last night that i am still physically shaking about it was that powerful uh those kids were so brave in a room that they actually had their u.s senator marco rubio was there i believe the other senator from florida was there nelson uh obviously the spokesperson from the nra we can get to that in a little bit but you got to start with obviously a prayer for the victims and their families, but the heroic, courageous effort that we've seen from these kids, I think are actually going to make some changes uh, as we move forward. Obviously a long time coming, but very, very impressive what I saw last night with the kids, the, the, the teachers, the families, the law enforcement. And, you know, with that said, I got to say, the NRA is killing me. Shame on the NRA. Shame on uh, all of the people that are blaming. A, like the blame is going all over the place, and it's not really landing on anyone. Uh, the NRA today, even today, today is Thursday night, made statements in the public today to the effects of how much the media enjoys these types of events, uh, and they said just just crazy things. Uh, and they need to act, I believe, and uh, they need to act fast on the things they can act. What do you think, Gigi Broadway, as we talk about uh, 
what's just transpired over the last week or so. It it, it just concerns me for the for the most part. You know, I have kids, you have kids, a lot of our listeners have kids and it just brings a lot of things to the forefront in, in the question. And my biggest question is, I, I'm just racking my brain thinking, do I want the teachers to have that much power when it comes to school and, and how they handle our kids? When Trump starts to have these ideas and wants to propose bonuses for teachers for gun training and suggest concealed carry concepts for teachers in the schools i I just it scares me i don't know let's let me ask trusty as well because trusty's with us and you hear this argument every time you have a mass shooting that if the victims had guns it would be safer we'd be safer off we'd be better off and that's something i believe um i Correct me if I'm wrong. You can email the Cheats Movement or you can DM me. But I believe that is something that the current president right now is is doubling down on, arming and training more teachers in things for massive school shootings. But you, in general, you always hear this argument is, well, if everyone had guns, these things wouldn't happen. Is that is that flawed reasoning? What do you think about that? Is it flawed reasoning? I don't know. You know, for it to be flawed reasoning, there'd have to be some reasoning there, and there's none. Uh, you know, so... Uh, you know, I deal in, you know, empirical data and reality in my day job. And so, you know, there's absolutely no truth to the idea that to stop violence, you need people to be armed. In fact, everything that we know about how violence happens, especially this kind of mass violence, is that is the exact opposite. Because this is what happens when you give people something like a gun, what you give them is the thought that they need to be looking for a reason to use the gun. Right. That should be the fear. It is not that you want it's not that a gun prevents violence is that generally once you have a weapon, you tend to look for situations where you can use the weapon. What's the point of having a gun if you don't have situations where you can use it? So you actually end up creating far more problems when you arm people um, with this really mythical idea that, you know, we watch a lot of popular culture where people are like crack shots. You know, I can shoot somebody at 100 feet away with one eye closed while falling backwards. And we all love that vision of ourselves. Um, It is not true even of highly trained people, though. Like, nobody is that good. Um, And certainly nobody is that good who does it for a hobby. Like, I went to the shooting range. I went up here to the Colonial Shooting Range actually a few weeks ago. Um, My first time at a range. It was not my first time dealing with a gun because I'm from the South. And my people are country. We got guns. I know guns. It's cool. But I did, you know, I wanted to do it formally, legally. Because we also tend to have guns but no permits. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it legally how you're supposed to do it. And go to the shooting range. And let me tell you, I see, pe- I saw people there for whom this is clearly their lifestyle. And there is no way they would have been prepared for an emergency shooting situation. You go into this constrained place and try to practice shooting, but that's not how it happens. Let me ask you another question because the NRA, again, doubled down today. And I can't express enough how disappointed I am. And I always have been, so I'm not used to it. But in this response today of comments like uh where was the town hall for chicago victims Mm -hmm. where was the town hall for black and brown like the nra is saying where's the town hall for black and brown people Mm -hmm. because we only get these town halls on cnn after white Mm -hmm. children and white families get hurt Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, the thing about communication is something can be true and be less true depending on who says it, Mm. (laughs) right? So that could be true if it was somebody who cared about black children. That would be making a really good point about how the media chooses who they cover and don't cover. That's actually a fair point if you're talking to, like, an organizer in Chicago or you're talking about, like, a minister from a black church. Uh, But that's not who a representative from the NRA is. A representative from the NRA does not care about black children. What Chicago has become in popular media, especially conservative media right now, is like a stand-in for these other ideas. When they drop something like Chicago, what they're really saying is young, dangerous black people, right? And so they're saying, well, what about Chicago? It's to remind people that the real enemy, the real thing to be afraid of are these young, dangerous um, black kids. So it's like disingenuous. There's no, you know, I have no problem saying that the NRA is not losing sleep over some over black children dying anywhere much less in Chicago it was just a way to distract from the fact that the town hall had not gone quite the way I think the Dana from um, the NRA had hoped it would go last night right she wanted to come off looking real sympathetic and it didn't work that puts a perfect bow on that Tressie what is next Gigi Broadway and we see it you know what? I'm going to say one story and I'm going to bring up another one because I do feel like, like I was just saying, I wanted to bring up some good stories as opposed to just stories that are going to make us angry and yell about. So uh, I will bring this up. We never put a ban on this person. Rihanna did turn 30 mm-hmm. this week. I would like to say for the record, there may not be a woman that has done more with less than Rihanna. No, hear me out. Hear hear me out. He said that. Hear me out. Rihanna is by far, if not the number, she's got to be top two global icons, right? Right now, currently. Beyonce and probably Rihanna. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just paying attention to see where you're going. Fenty Beauty launch. Right. Amazing. All the way up and down the line. Like, has come, you talking about power. She had the whole beauty industry Changing their game after Fenty Beauty drop. Uh-huh. And I say that she's in Ocean's, what, 13, Ocean's 24, something like that. She's winning awards and dancing all over Grammy stages. Uh-huh. And I'm just going to say, when Pun the Replay came out, nobody thought this was going to happen. Nobody even thought she was in tune when Pun the Replay dropped. Well, she wasn't. She didn't sign the Ocean. So, therefore, she has done more, okay. I think. Well, she Rihanna reminds me of like I'm old. So Mary J. Blige, when Mary J. came out back in the day, Mary couldn't sing. Mary couldn't perform. Whoa, 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 no, whoa, whoa. no. Oh, yeah. Oh, Thank hit, you. Hit Thank the, you. Hit the brakes. You out your mind. Hit the brakes. Bruh, did you ever see Mary you were, live? You were trying to tell. Uh, yes, I have. But this back was, in the this day, was, this was later. When Mary was high, hit the all break. the time. Hit the brakes. And JoJo was standing off stage looking at her. When you're trying to tell me that like Al when Green, real love hits, no. she couldn't sing. When what's the four one one hit? That is correct. That is sing. what I'm telling you. That that is a classic get out, album. Get out of here, and man. it is eighty five percent production. I watched Mary live. You're crazy. Mary was like Rihanna. Like had a lot of buzz, some good cuts, and couldn't sing to save her life. Well, and well. if Mary could get herself together, Rihanna could too. And so I say more power to them. For the record, this is Tressie saying that is correct. I'm on the record, because and I love I, Mary. I, I love break up Mary. I think all, that we should all get together, band together, and kick Kendra's behind. All, but Mary couldn't sing. 
Anything on what's four one is better than pun the replay. Don't ever talk to me about this. Production, now, I will say production. <laughs> I will say <laughs> that. And, and are we even trying to talk about a singing like a singing issue between Rihanna and Mary J. Blige? To talk about it now, that's my point. To talk about it now it's would be ridiculous. Okay. But nineteen ninety five, Mary to when did Rihanna drop? Two thousand four or something. I, I don't know. I they mean, were about the same. But I, I will say this. Uh, Rihanna has taken the taken the, the 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 mantle and ran far like just she's ran. She's I'm ran. gonna tell you the truth. I actually never paid Rihanna any attention until her Twitter game popped off. Mm. I liked Rihanna the personality. I didn't know anything beyond like Umbrella. And then well, Umbrella was the first smash. That's what I'm Umbrella telling you. And that was the first smash, and last time whole... I paid her any attention until like maybe three or four years ago. And I saw her popping off on people on Twitter. And I was like, oh, let me see what that's about. And then I'm like, okay. I, and I will tell you this. Outside of obviously a ill-fated relationship with Virginia's own Chris Brown. Uh, <laughs> Virginia's own. I will say, I will say that you, when you are in the spotlight that long, right, you have high potential not mm-hmm. to handle it well. Like, just right. high potential not to handle Look, I mean, look at Virginia's own Chris Brown, right? Speaking of an example of not handling it very well. Paul and Chris. Rihanna has, for the most part, remained, yeah. you know. And I think has gotten better. Graceful and done you got to get out of here. She's, on, she's smoking blunt. She's booty popping on yachts. She's doing some ratchet, raunchy things. But because it's Rihanna, everybody looking blind. Now. A.K.A. So living the dream. <laughs> A.K.A. <laughs> Wait. A.K.A. Sorry. Okay. First of all, <laughs> let me introduce myself. Hi, my name is Taryn Hall. Um, I am a Richmond native. What recently back? But I just had to jump in. First of all, because I'm wearing Fenty. You will not. As play. am I. As am I. This is Dr. Tressy McMillan Cottom. I too am wearing Fenty. First, let's get into it now. To agree with Tressy, yes, Mary couldn't sing, but she also had. Uh, what's the young man from North Carolina? Uh, Jodeci. Yeah, Casey. Casey. She had Casey owners. Like they were able to work something out. I really think that she couldn't. Let me finish. Now you're gonna let me finish. You're gonna get this work. Now for you, Gigi. Let me just go ahead on and let you have it. I'm agreeing with you. Rihanna is liberating. So this is what she does. Okay. Yeah, she might not be the. Look, she might not can sing. You know, she has a cute face. Her body, she can't really she dance. Just like, learned how to dance last week. Barely. Okay, okay? Yeah, she can whine. Yeah, but let me tell you yeah. something. Why can't a woman shake her booty and smoke a blunt and live her best life? Let me, because we are so bound to what we think women and black women in particular are supposed to do and how ladylike we're supposed to be. And you know what Rihanna did? She said, "You know what? Forget it." Because guess what? The women who were like, "Bump that," I'm gonna do what I want. Those are the ones who are winning right now. She has Fenty. She just turned 30. She looks great. She is out here slaying. Yeah, thicker than a snicker. And everybody's eating it up, including me. And she's still, I mean, she's not a singer, but that's okay. I actually like the fact that she is, I just want to say sociologically, I think it is important that she's (laughs) popping it on yachts. And I just want to say that. Gigi Broadway, that's on you. Because I was saying how impressed I was with her beauty. Well, it's Rihanna. It's important. Gigi, you got anything else to say about Rihanna turning 30? I just wish her much more success. We have the exact same birthday, February 20th. So oh. we are, you know, I, I'm going to get that to her. But besides that, uh, uh. you're not feeling the Rihanna moment. 
I feel like it's a little embellished. You know what I'm saying? Like, did she say that she exuded professionalism or something? What, what, what are you saying? I, you know, was there. I, you think, was there. I think for all that she has done, and look, we, we don't have, we can't make this the Rihanna show. This is the Black Panther show. <laughs> we cannot make this the Rihanna show. But what I, what I will Rihanna. say that for someone that has been in the spotlight that long, she has been in the spotlight since she was a, you know, a young girl. Whenever upon the replay dropped, I don't know. What <laughs> <laughs> so seventeen to thirty. I, but 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 I do I do say that you see you see a lot of people not handle that well. Black, white, Asian. We see a lot of people not handle that well, and I think she has handled it, and because you can't compare her to a normal star, because she is not a normal star. She is bigger than that. There is examples of like the set, the set of what is it Ocean the movie when she was on Oceans with all those stars on Oceans and um, and Mindy and and all the all the women Red and they and yeah yeah and they tell the story about you would have thought that all of those other famous stars outside of maybe George Clooney or whoever was not even famous because all of the paparazzi followed Rihanna. Because she has this she machine went. behind Rihanna can go out and spin in somebody's face right now that has done but she nothing hasn't. and it would be a spin <laughs> your face has, challenge. You got she's little so Selena cool. Gomez looking donuts in coffee shops <laughs> you, and Rihanna has never done any of that. Wait, let's, oh let's also get into the... Don't, okay, I would say this. They, these are the exact same things that all she does, she can't sing, all she can do is style and people just follow her because she's a star. They used to say about Madonna. Mm. She's I want to point that out. They used to say the same I, thing about Madonna. I think it is yeah, entirely possible to be a pop star and not be like a singer or a dancer. She's not bigger than Madonna. Uh, depends on how old you are, I think. Yeah, it's, it's totally. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we do have to move on. <laughs> no, this is great. This is great. This is great. You know, uh, this is great. Um, what else? Gigi, you're up. What's on your list? <clears throat> Do we see? Um, let's talk about Drake's God planned um, video and um, him <laughs> distributing. <laughs> this is not going to go back to Rihanna, but I just smiled. Go ahead. Oh my God! <laughs> him distributing one million dollars. Uh, nearly one million. Like, nearly yeah, no, one million dollars yeah. to the people um, around Miami. Um, it's starting a movement. I want. What do they call it now? Humanitainment. Is is this? Yeah, uh, yeah. Apparently, where you do charitable things, um, now look in a flashy way to entertain people. But I'm gonna call. Yeah. Can I? I see this. I love this video. I love what Drake did. And I'm not. And for someone that is not a Drake, like Stan, I like Drake's music. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I do like Drake's music, but I'm not like Drake is not gonna be in my top 15 of rappers of all time or any of that stuff. We're not gonna go there. That's crazy. Okay, good. He's not better good. than he's not better than Kendrick. That's crazy. He's not better than Hove. That's crazy. Like, he's not better than right? My mama. But, but I know that's right. But I I will say that this now I will say that it is not this ain't no label. Rich people that are famous have been given back in flashy ways for a long time. So making this because Drake did it, some type of hashtag, and making it some big deal, it was a very very wonderful thing. I saw you. I do think the faces on the people that he gave money to in those videos were genuine. I do think. No, I do. He gave money to a whole lot of foundations and so forth. He knew what he was. He knew what he was doing. It was a. It, it's a, it's a PR move, but I think it's a good one. 
it's better than not doing it. Um, but I, 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 I applaud Drake. I always, I'm, the only thing I wonder is why Miami. Clearly, Drake is from Toronto. Uh, I never, I never heard. Does anybody know why he decided to use Miami as the city of Miami as his give back place of choice? Uh-huh. I just assumed it was like one of these things like Miami strippers had given so much to Drake. And he wanted And that's to not out back. of the realm of possibility, honestly. He wanted to give I back mean, to the people who have given so much to him, but I don't know. I think it was just a nice PR stunt that, you know, kill two birds with one stone kind of thing. Yeah, let's throw out some money and uh, make a video a lot at the of same money. time. A lot of money. That was the budget for his whole video. He probably did it in Miami because that's where the video was going to be based out of anyway. So right. why not just throw and it I, to And you know what, around. though? Big up to him. For real. Like... Anybody in the world could have done that. Like, J. Cole could have done it. Kendrick could have done it. Hove could have done they it. They do a lot, though. They do the do a lot. Without they, having they to have a flashy video do, attached, right? They do do a lot. Like, you, everybody knows the philanthropy of J. Cole and, and the philanthropy of Jay-Z and the mm-hmm. people like that. But I do, I, I, Tressie's looking at me like I did something wrong. <laughs> no, I'm, I, was, I, I was just thinking, we do? We do yeah. know that? Yeah. Um, I actually don't think I know that. <laughs> yeah. But I applaud. Let's, let's stay on topic. Okay. I, I do applaud Drake for, and I, and I will say, I watched the video a couple times, and I was, I mean, I, I thought they did a good job, man. I thought they did you a really good job. You better have made a dope video for that, though, because the song is not good. <laughs> like I said, a good PR stunt, you know, nice, nice video, nice PR stunt. Good, good job, Drake. You've done it again. You got one more, you got one more, Gigi? Before we get into Wakanda, because that, that's why we're here. That is why we are here. I don't know. I'm going to just throw out there because, you know, the mad scientists in me. I don't know. Do y'all care about February 19th? I was alerted that scientists have now successfully created a human-sheep hybrid. Like a clone? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's an embryo. It's starting out as an embryo now. It's 99% sheep, 1% human right now. But it's for the idea of harvesting organs. Gotcha. You know, so how how do we feel about this? Because I mean, having organs for people who need them, great. But I mean, this this is a little scary, kind of. You ain't getting my show taken away. (laughs) 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 Just got this show. You trying to get me taken off the air with some with some talk? Yeah, I'm in Richmond, Virginia. Pros and cons. That's the future. I am in Richmond, Virginia. I will say. Things that help medical, like, hey, look, I got babies. If my babies can be saved by medical uh, advancements in the future, I'm all for that. Other than that, I'm trying to keep my show, GG Broadway. You can bring all that stuff up in your own meetings. I'm just, I'm just getting out of Not trying to get in any trouble. I don't even want anyone else to make I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just asking, you know. This is what I <laughs> so let's get into it. Let's get into it because we have beaten around the bush long enough. Black excellence in its highest regard. Black Panther shattered a number of records over the four-day opening weekend. Um, just to give you some numbers of what I think is correct is $242 million domestically, $426 million worldwide, uh, second highest four-day weekend of all time behind Star Wars, fifth highest opening of all time, and I think the only ones that beat it are like Star Wars <laughs> and maybe some <laughs> Avenger movies in there. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but more importantly than like the numbers, 
just the fact of Marvel, Disney, all of those folks actually put in their 100% confidence in Ryan Coogler because you got to shout out what he did on the screen. You had a culture going crazy. You had people dressing up. I don't fully trust you. You can tell me. I don't fully understand all the references to Zamunda versus Wakanda. It seemed like two vastly different places. But, 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 I saw it, I saw it on Sunday. My wife has seen it twice. I've seen it once. I know Tressie's seen it twice. Gigi, how many times have you seen Black Panther? Ah! Gigi, how many times, girl? <clears throat> I, I, I haven't seen it any times yet. I have not seen it. I was waiting, you know what I mean? I, I've been, I was waiting for the hype to die down a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Before, you know how I do. I, I, I don't like the mm. buzz. Like, I just want to be chill, want to go to it, and just want to... So since, since Gigi has not seen Black Panther, we can just pass the mic over to Tressy, <laughs> our special guest, the High Princess of Wakanda. Just, I need a moment to just look at Gigi. So we can just do that for a moment. Mm. While we all just look at this Gigi. This is uncomfortable. Oh, God. Oh, so, so let me start, Tressy, when we talk about Black Panther. What was it about the film and the reaction from the community at large that that is your immediate takeaway. What is your immediate takeaway of the film and the reaction that the film's gotten? Oh, I mean, okay, so the two things. So the first thing is we just still are not used to for very good reason. Black people and black audiences are not accustomed to seeing a well-made product not just featuring black people, because that's different, right? So you could do a big movie um, like uh, Django Unchained, for example. Or is it Django Chain? Django, what is it? Is he Chain or Unchained? Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Right? That has a huge budget and a big name about. attached and has black actors in it, but that's not the same as the black actors being the voice. Like, seeing a world through black actors' eyes is a different kind of thing. And having a huge budget, all of the production value, and the quality product that mainstream uh, majority white movies get. Um, So Brian Coogler not only getting that kind of money and that kind of backing from the studio, but being allowed to do that with his own vision for the movie. It's just huge. I mean, it suggests that, you know, it's one of those rare glimpses, I think, that um, um, a black audience gets the idea of what might be possible for us, right? What might be possible? Like, what if we had that kind of cultural production Mm -hmm. regularly, right? What does that feel like? Um, and so for one night, right, you get to feel normal. You get to feel like um, not only that you're represented, because representation is certainly part of it, but I think it's more than just seeing yourself represented. I think it is seeing yourself, like the, the complexities of yourself and your community represented in a way that um, you can trust, right? You could trust Brian with the vision. You could trust what he was doing on the screen. And that's just such a rare experience for us. like. You know, I love seeing us in um, popular culture, but normally if I want to see it regularly, I got to do stuff. Yeah, thank you. I got to do stuff like watch a Tyler Perry movie. Now, I'm not going to talk about Tyler Perry. I was going to say, are we comparing a Tyler Perry movie to Black Panther? What is happening right now? No, I'm just telling you okay. the, the the extremes I have to go to sometimes <laughs> to see black people in a movie theater. Right. And I not even know going in what I'm going to see and that I'm not going to like it, but I'm like, okay, but for 60 minutes... Mm-hmm. There's going to be somebody black on the screen. And if I got to see a Tyler Perry movie for that to happen, more power, right? 
but it would be nice if that was not my only option. And that's what I think we got with Black Panther. Plus, it's just a beautiful movie. I mean, mm-hmm. it's one thing to have to see, like, the only movie out that has some black people in it. But for the movie that's out to be a huge movie and to be a good movie, like, it is good. I'm in the, I'm actually, like, in the Marvel Universe. I watch them all, and I always watch them on opening weekend. I'm that, that person. That's a good point, too, because one of the things that I took away from the film is that you would enjoy this movie even if you had never seen any other Marvel films. Absolutely. I mean, they tell, because it's yeah. kind of the first installment of this film. There were some references in a previous Captain America, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be a Marvel no. expert to see this. It's film. self-contained. It's the movie for people who have not ever watched a Marvel movie who kind of want to know what the whole thing is about. Mm-hmm. Like, you could start here, right? And you could then go watch. It, this is a self-contained movie, though. It's its own universe, kind of its own, not its own universe. It's its own world in the Marvel universe. And this is the best origin story they've done. So let's get into spoilers. So for people that have not seen the movie, too bad, Gigi Broadway. I was just about to say, we're now staring at Gigi again. Because, no, no, because <laughs> this is important. If you haven't seen it by the time this podcast comes out, it's your fault. You should have seen it. Because what's happening online, what's happening in conversations amongst communities about the specific characters Mm -hmm. and the specific complexity that the, you know, Ryan Coogler and the story writers went with the complexity of characters. Mm -hmm. Are there, it it did not appear, the argument is there may not be a clear-cut case of good and evil yeah. in this film. Yeah. And that is driving people crazy. Black yep. people especially. Yeah. Because if you're fighting for black liberation, at what cost? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why the movie's brilliant in many ways. Um, so Kugler is clearly a reader. He clearly knows his stuff, right? So he didn't just read history. He is deeply familiar with um, black liberation theology. That's clear. It's clear that he knows something about, like, the Back to Africa movements over Pan time. Pan-African. It's a Pan-African story in many ways. He knows He knows this and doesn't just know it, like, in that surfacey way. It's clear these are things he's been thinking about for a long time. And that totally shows up um, in the film. It. It is a good film for that reason, though. I understand, like, all human beings, I think, are programmed for wanting a good guy and a bad guy, right? But when you see something with a a clear good guy and a bad guy, you forget it the moment you walk out the theater, Mm. right? Because nothing about your worldview has been challenged. It was exactly the way you thought it should go. The reason why people are still talking about it and probably going to be talking about it for a long time when it's really good, the good guy and the bad guy make you reconsider your own beliefs right? right your own moral compass that's right that's what's brilliant about it like who's right or wrong those are actually oversimplified concepts that's what Kugler is saying and throughout the movie right that it, it's not that it's that's right black liberation sounds great in theory um in practice people get hurt mm-hmm. and what price are you willing to pay people have been hurt and is that something that we fully understand the scope of right um i think it's important that you know uh, T'Challa is not a perfect hero because no one ever is. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we wait for a perfect hero, we end up waiting forever to do anything, right? And so I think it's important that that's that kind of part of the takeaway. Like, who should you align yourself with is a much more complicated question in the movie, mostly because I think Kugler understands that it should be a much more complicated question in real life. So you mentioned this. So T'Challa is... is- if you're going to have a hero character, T'Challa's yeah. a hero character. Right. He's, he's the A-role of this. Right. 
the majority, I would say 95% of all conversations I've had about Black Panther following the movie uh-huh. has been about Michael B. Jordan's character, yeah. Eric Killmonger. Yeah. What, like, <laughs> what, how, how do we justify, like, how do we come to terms with that character being by far the most, ta- if, I mean, he's not the A character of the movie, but he's mm-hmm. by far the A character of discussion. Um, so the first thing it tells me is that you need to talk to some more black women because really what we talking about is Shuri. And we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. But I do think that like in mainstream media, right, the think pieces are about there's way more interest in trying to understand Killmonger than there is. Like we think we understand T'Challa's motivations, right? They're pretty straightforward. I think why people are wrestling with Killmonger, why he makes such a big impression on people, is because, um, especially for people who are not familiar with like the history of Pan Africanism or Black liberation or the Black Panther or in Oakland, where's that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For people who haven't really thought about those things, he would be sort of a stunning sort of representation of that if it's like your first time thinking about that kind of thing. I think we also got to give credit to the fact that um, Michael just does a bang-up job as, I mean, you know, as an actor, Mm -hmm. a character actor in the film. But the character has complexity. It has depth. And you end up walking away thinking, I can see his point, right? I can see why he would be... Um, bitter and violent, although violent might be a little harder to, to, uh, to take, but bitter and violent because he feels betrayed by the potential that Wakanda could have done for black Americans, right? Um, that's real. Should people think, or we probably shouldn't even frame it that way because we can't tell people what to think, but the argument a lot of times or the question of the day is, is he even a bad guy? He is the anti-hero, but the anti-hero doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that he's bad. No. Um, I mean, I think a good, this is one of these big, um, you know, this is like reading the Iliad or something back in the day, right? This is a big story. It's one of these things that's supposed to help you make sense of the world kind of stories. And if it's going to do that, what I think you have to understand is that there are no good and bad people. They're just people responding to circumstances, yeah. So whether he's good or bad is not even the question, um, which is, again, why I think it's really well done. It is under these circumstances, who would you be? Who would you have become if mm-hmm. these things had happened to you? And if it makes you re- if it makes you reimagine that and question that, that develops empathy for other people, because then you can go, you know what? Actually, yeah, right. I can see in those circumstances. Um, and that's part of what we hope good art does for people. And one of the things that was a conf- when I saw it, I didn't get conflicted mm-hmm. until well after, you know, parts of the movie. But mm-hmm. when I saw uh, kind of the situation where uh, T'Chaka, which is T'Challa's father, mm-hmm wind up leaving mm-hmm. Eric Killmonger back in the United States. Uh, I'm looking at my wife like, probably done the same thing. Like, Ooh. not, not me. I know what you mean. Given the circumstances yeah. of the betrayal to Wakanda right. and what their priorities were, I literally looked mm-hmm. at my wife and was like, I, I understand the anger mm-hmm. from uh, T'Challa. I understand it. Once he found out the truth and you know, kind of how he changed his view of his father as the mm-hmm. as the story went along and was really damaged by that, right? Yeah. But I'm looking at it like I I understand if not agree, but I definitely I definitely understood mm-hmm. that move mm-hmm. more so 
than some of the debate or, or agony over the kind of ending results of it. Yeah, so, you know, T'Chaka says at the beginning of the film, uh, you know, in the uh, from the spirit realm to his son, you know, it is hard for a good man to be king, right? Uh, which is a play on something that, that lots of people, lots that. of philosophers have said many times over the years. You know, power is all corrupting, that power cannot um, coincide with good intentions, etc. I think it's but, even more complex than that. Like, I think Barack Obama's a good man. We don't know some of the things that Barack Obama may have seen. Or actually, may have, we know many of the things. Right, or some of the decisions he had exactly. to make. Right, um, and that's just not a, not a, yeah, not a, it's just tough. No, no, so, but I think whether I can understand what T'Chaka did is different than whether, from I agree whether with or not yeah. it's right or wrong, mm-hmm. and that's the point, right? That you could understand him putting Wakanda before a single child. Mm-hmm. But what if the single child was not just about saving that child? Because that's what the, that's really what T'Challa is wrestling with. It was not just about saving who would then become Eric Killmonger. It was if we had intervened there, if Wakanda had done what it could have done for black people writ large, considering the limited, granted, small role that the continent played in the African slave trade, but still a role was played in the exchange and sale of um, uh, warring uh, tribes for um, exchanging them with uh, Europeans and selling them into the slave trade. That's what it's a stand-in for. Like, you abandoned us, not just this child, but us, Mm -hmm. um, to save yourself at what cost? Now that becomes, I think, a, a different story. Was there a way to sure. save both Wakanda and Eric Killmonger? And there probably was. The fact that a king didn't try a little harder to find a compromise. And, and, and it, 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 he's a human being that was angry about a betrayal, right? Like, I mean, you got to think about that, too. He was angry at his brother, brother for threatening his leadership in the country and all those things. Mm-hmm. Let me switch gears because we don't have a, too much more time, and I do want to tell you brought it up, and it's also heavily debated, the role of women, in particular black women, mm-hmm. in this film, and I say, maybe I shouldn't say debated, but the reactions have varied mm-hmm. as across the board, whether, you know, you're Shuri, uh, by far a breakout star in this mm-hmm. film, in my opinion. It should be. Um, the general... Like the whole the whole force legion of force like the role of women in this film. Where do you see the role of women in this film? And then the particular complexity nature of the women characters, whether you're talking about Angela Bassett's role or mm-hmm. Lapita's role. Um, talk to me about it because I have seen people be very happy with it, and I've mm-hmm. also seen people really. I've I seen mean, people very really. About the characters. Yeah. I've seen people be very happy about those particular complexities of their characters. Uh-huh. And I've also seen people very upset about mm-hmm. the overall role of women in the film. Really? Okay, so I don't see too much of the second, but that's probably about my, my bubble, right? And sure. My filter. Um, anybody following me on social media who was going to say nothing bad about the <laughs> black woman in that movie because that's not how I run my life. That's kind of how I felt about the Obama portraits. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that yeah, later. As, oh, yeah, we could do we that. We didn't talk about the Obama portraits. I wrote about portraits. that. We could do about but that. I, we could do that. Um, listen, uh, you know, Ryan Coogler is not going to fix or up in, I think, in any of his art, especially his mainstream art like this movie. It's a big budget movie. It still has to answer to Disney and Marvel and be, and be, um, faithful to the canon, right, of the Avengers. 
And so there's only so much you can do with um, upending gender. These movies have been designed to be sexist for a very long time, right? That's what these products are. The comic books less so over time, but, you know, why you have to have an over-sexualized female character in every movie. There always has to be a girlfriend, and quite literally it's almost all she's ever allowed to be, right? But she's that was up the case against that. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, okay, in okay. the Marvel yeah. Disney universe, that's how these things are generally done. So pushing back against that, first of all, is just a, you know, it's significant. It may not be revolutionary, but it's significant. What is revolutionary is doing that with black women who are almost never allowed to be, um, certainly not in this kind of product, a Disney product, a Marvel product, where there is not, there's more than one black woman, first of all, um, which allows you to have that complexity. So what tends to happen with us in these big budget movies is when there's only one character, it can only be so complex. It can't represent a whole lot of different personalities, right? Unless you're doing a movie about, um, psychosis so yeah you've got enough depth and you've got enough breadth in the characters so that you can do that because you got a bench you can play sure. with i can't i can't i'm gonna say the general i say the general i'm gonna say her name wrong that's why i was like what's what's i'm gonna say it wrong too okay but her um the even even her relationship akoya because i'm country but it's akoya no, even her relationship with lapita's character mm-hmm. they did not see eye to eye I mean, they were allowed to disagree. So one of the things, there's this, um, you know, this principle out there about about judging how female characters are represented in film. Um, And one of the things it says is that female characters in film are rarely allowed to have a conversation on screen that isn't about men. Hmm. Right? Um, And so one of the, like, revolutionary things, Coogler makes a fairly mainstream feminist film in that the women in this film talk about things other than men. They're not talking about a relationship, right? They get to talk about war and nation and faith and family, right? They can have a conversation without the man being on screen. That's actually a huge deal in a movie. It's an even bigger deal when the women are black. And so, because that almost never happens for us in a mainstream movie. So the fact that they get depth, that they get to have conversations that are about something other than being a love interest is huge. Um, but I would be remiss if I didn't point out a couple of things, other things that I think Coogler gets a chance to do and shows that it can be done. Um, it is not just that he has black women. It's the, it's the kind of black women that he represents in this film. This is probably the only mainstream film I have ever seen in my life. And again, I'm old. Where the black women, especially the love interest, which is Nakia's character, um, are darker skinned, mm-hmm. right? And non-Western in any kind sure. of way, right? Unheard of. Even if you're gonna be a Disney princess and they're even gonna come close to putting a black princess up there, you had better believe that she is going um, to be fairer skinned, long hair, conform to the Disney princess idea in some other kind of way. So he also gets away from that. Um, One thing that was brought up, and I do want to mention as yeah. well, was the and, and shout out to the brother that wrote the Atlantic article. I thought it was really good, really well written. The he I can't I don't know his name, but he wrote a piece about and it, Killmonger's in the title, but it's a it's a think piece about mm-hmm. uh, his role. I but think I should probably know who. Wrote one that. of the things he said, which I didn't really notice, was when you have this type of opportunity and you have this cast, even as decorated actors as they are. There seems to always be a play for like a cheap joke, like a cheap cultural joke, like mm-hmm. a Cardi B reference or something mm-hmm. in there that makes you think, oh, we're, we're you know, we're yeah. more hip wink, than we need to be. To, yeah, wink, wink. Or there's a character that uses, you know, 
language that's overly, you know, uh, yeah, overly just, you know, like a comic relief type person mm-hmm. that just really plays the cultural stereotypes. Right. This film did not do that. Mm-hmm. This film is very hard to find a cheap mm-hmm. kind of throwaway moment mm-hmm. that's like, oh, they just did that because black people are watching. Right. And, and in fact, if there, that was if there really is impressive. a moment, it certainly is not being played on the black audience. The only thing that I think comes close in the film is the white CIA agent. The white character <laughs> yeah, The white character in and many so, ways embodies in this film who is usually the token black character in other films. Absolutely. Absolutely. But now I will before just get back to the women really quickly because one of the things I do want to bring up was, uh, you know, you see online again some of the more aggressive content mm-hmm. is even in Wakanda women are basically support roles. Oh, they're okay. secondary yeah. roles. They're not, you mm-hmm. know, as complex as they are and how proud of they are that there was character development. Mm-hmm. They were still. You know, serving men in a way that didn't. There was not. Well, they're all still saving T'Challa's behind. Yeah, the whole movie right. is about no, they, saving him, right? I mean, they yes. saved his life yes. several times. It's yeah, keeping yeah. him alive, keeping him king, saving him. Uh, but that, I mean, you know, that's the that's the Marvel convention. There has to be a singular hero. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I got to give a shout out to my friend Roxanne Gay, who wrote um, a very feminist version of the comic book on which Black Panther is based. Mm-hmm. Um, a spinoff from it called World of Wakanda. Where that's exactly her point that she's talked about the what the reason the way she wrote the world of Wakanda was that she wanted to decenter that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. She wanted the women of Wakanda to be at the center of the narrative and the story, um, and like that kind of a version of that would be amazing to see on film. That's what I mean by like the you know given the constraints of doing a big budget movie, I think Coogler did about as much you know radical reimagination of the marvel universe as he could have done um but yeah no it's absolutely true that the women are still there to save the black panther it is called the black panther and so you know the whole thing is in service to that idea what's your final takeaway from for people like Gigi broadway that may have not seen it just of yet what is your final pause to once again stare at Gigi. what (laughs) what's your final takeaway for people uh as they continue to talk about this movie, continue to take in layers. This is not something that will be over anytime soon in that regard. I, I think this will kind of register in, in psyches of culture for a very long time. I mean, I think, so my takeaway is that it's a classic. I mean, that was almost instant, that if it had lived up to even a fraction of its pre-release hype, that it was going to be a good movie. The fact that it met it and in some ways exceeded the hype makes it, I think, an instant classic, both in the genre of superhero movie, but also it's bigger than that. I think you're going to be seeing this movie the way like they play the color purple on BET all Sunday, right? It's going to be this. I think we're going to be doing the same thing. Having said that, I think the other thing that this movie signals to me, this is, um, let's see, this is Coogler's like third big, sort of big movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 31 years old. That's like young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and Michael B. Jordan's it, and 30, he pulled 30, it off, one, and he right? pulled it off. Yeah. And I think he's part of a moment right now. We're having a great moment in black art and black culture. Um, I just kept thinking while I was sitting there watching, and I think we're having a really good moment. Do we recognize it though? Like so, Does for example, no. I mean, I think it? I think we recognize it, and which you can take it, but you can. But, but I say that because I really do think um, when I think back to growing up, I just remember. The Spike Lee, the John Singleton, mm-hmm. the Hughes yeah. brothers. And I remember thinking, oh, they're making black films mm-hmm. or for black audiences. Uh-huh. And now the, the the shift is we have mm-hmm. Ava, we have Issa, Listen. we have 
Shonda. I, yeah, Shonda is like yeah. Shonda. And so <laughs> black women. So Ryan is the mob. So Ryan is in this clique. Yeah. But it's really being run by black women. Mm-hmm. Black women and those mm-hmm. you know that effort to put different stories on television. Listen, black women legitimize the culture and have the income to support it financially. That's why we are the same thing that used to work for the black church and you know, our black women and kept the black church alive and open for business all Still these years. They're doing the same thing for culture. That's all. But <laughs> that's who we are. That's what we do. We we keep we build the cultural transmissions. What we've always done It's just I think we've shifted a little bit to increasing our dominance of popular culture. But yeah, I'm watching some of the stuff happening right now, and I'm going. I, I mean, I don't want to overstate it, but I'm wondering what we're going to call this moment in 20 years when we have to look back on it. Um, it's a great. It's young. It's vibrant. It's complex. Um, women are for once during a Black Arts moment at the center, right? Like this is. It's just. I mean, it's amazing. We're having a really good moment, and the best work being done, even by the men, like Ryan, is feminist. He's doing black feminist art as a man. I mean, I think that's a that's a really good place to be in. Now we to get here, we had to elect Donald Trump, but you know, <laughs> things are complicated. Just got to breathe deep. We're gonna have to leave it there, Tressie. Thank you for your y'all. insight on Black Panther. Have we fun. do encourage everyone to go see it. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with 9th District City Councilman Michael Jones. He's a city councilman of Richmond. We're going to have a great conversation, and we'll get into it, but uh, Councilman Jones also bought out, uh, I want to say, a couple of theaters for Black Panther for his, for his community, so we'll get into that as well. This is the Chiefs Movement on WRR. We'll be back. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back, and we are with our special guest, Councilman Michael Jones of the 9th District. This interview, I got to be for full disclosure, this interview is taking place at the Southside Community Center. It is my first time here, uh, floored by the uh, the amazing gym, and we're in the back in the multi-purpose room. Councilman Jones, welcome. Thank you for taking me here, first and foremost, but welcome to the Cheats Movement on WRR. Well, Cheats, welcome to the Southside, man. Welcome to the Southside. You know, we were just talking about this off the air. I spend a lot of time in the city of Richmond, more than I spend probably in my home area of Henrico, and we do not come to the 9th District very much. We, we are the hidden gem of the city, and so <laughs> our, our goal is to, you know, crack the coal off so you can see the diamond that that, that is within uh, the city of Richmond. I like how you said that, the hidden gem. I like yes, that. Yes, indeed. Now, we just had a full, in-depth conversation in the past last segment about Black Panther the movie. It's Wakanda weekend, Wakanda forever. For <laughs> Wakanda the last forever, couple, yes, indeed. Uh, last couple of days. But you did something special. Before we get into all the, the district and the politics and so forth, right, you did right. something extremely special for your community in regards to the movie Black Panther and getting people to the theater. Tell, tell the people what you did and why you did it. Um, one, you know, we were, looking at, we were looking at trying to do some type of outing, uh, really, at my church. Uh, the Village of Faith. And so, you know, the sisters were talking about, well, hey, let's go see this movie and girl trip this and girl trip that. And I'm like, hold on, y'all. Black Panther is coming out in, in a few weeks. And I said, Let, let's do something. Let's buy out a theater, uh, invite some members from church, but then focus on making this a community effort because there are going to be a lot of people um, that don't have the resources to get a ticket to go see a movie 
and get popcorn and stuff like that. So we came up with this idea that because Black Panther is uh, a black superhero, how do we encourage individuals to be everyday heroes? And so they had to do some type of everyday heroic act. And uh, by doing that, they got access to uh, uh, the movie premiere. So we had the whole thing bought out, uh, 215 tickets. Uh, and what most people don't know, I actually bought an additional 50 that I gave out here at the Southside Community Center. Okay. So that was my act of random kindness okay. to just treat 50 people uh, uh, to see this movie. And for me, it, it was just important that as many African-Americans, young African-Americans, go see this movie. And, and, and that, that, that was the impetus behind it. Talk to me about some of the acts of kindness that you heard about in order for people to get tickets. Oh, man, they had to post them. I mean, you had people buying people gas and groceries, giving people rides, jump-starting cars, changing tires, uh, you know, buying lunch for the office. Awesome. People started going in, and that was really cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so ultimately, how many people from random acts of kindness got to go? And what theater did you buy? Dude, we, we bought out Bowtie. Okay. Uh, Bowtie okay. Center yeah, right, yeah. right yeah. on the boulevard. Yeah. Absolutely. And, uh, man, we had the, – the house was packed. We had over 75 to 80 people that did the act. So everyone That's got two tickets. Um, and so we worked it out like that. And so – but we still had – and I wanted to make sure that we got kids in. So we had the Huguenot High School basketball team there. Mm. George Wythe's basketball team was in the house. We had kids from Benford Middle School. And so we, we just had – Man, we just had the neighborhood in the house, and it was man, it was so beautiful. And all, uh, and and we will. This is fantastic, and we'll move on. But let me know what you think of the movie. Oh man, it was epic. One, <laughs> one, one, one. I'm a Marvel head, so okay, <clears throat> you okay. know, I, I'm a Marvel head, so I just wasn't caught up in you know the Afrocentricity of the of the moment. I'm a Marvel head, so I know that Black Panther hit the scenes about 1990 or 1966. Okay, you know, and and I understood that. Okay, Eric Killmonger, that really wasn't his name in the actual comic book series, mm. but they they did some stuff, you know, cinematic license, but. Uh, Man, it, it was it was a great movie. It was by far the best solo Marvel movie, like Iron Man, mm -hmm. Captain America. They were okay. They didn't get good until they came together as the Avengers. Oh, yeah. You know, Ragnarok was good because Hulk was in it with Thor. Mm -hmm. You know, but this stood alone as an epic piece. Killmonger, dude, you were actually rooting for the villain, and you understood. You know, with Loki, Loki was just this crazed hurt individual that didn't understand the family dynamics he was birthed into and he wanted to take over the world. Killmonger had a purpose for why he wanted to do what he did. So this is a good point too. And you and you said you wanted encourage kids to see this mm -hmm. film, children mm -hmm. to see this film. What do you think they would be their lead takeaway? Uh, from seeing the film, especially young people in general. I know the adults sometimes get confused. I've been reading think piece after think piece about <laughs> Killmonger and if he was right and if he didn't. But but right, for right. so many youth to go see this film, what do you think their takeaway would be? I, I think the biggest thing is that they see themselves in every part of the movie, from the director all the way to the you know uh, to the extras. And so you had a leading cast of African-Americans, and that's huge. Forget the story. Mm. Forget all the cinematography. The fact that they saw themselves from beginning to end, man, they, they weren't thugging. They weren't cripping and, and blooding and all this stuff. Dude, it was just 
Afrocentricity at its best, and that's what they saw. I fell in love with black women again. I already love black women. Oh, hold on, now. Watch oh man, I, I'm just, I'm we just saying. These things that we might have to edit out. <laughs> no, no, no. You can, you can print that because, because, because again, un, no, and and please don't edit this out. No, so, 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 we no, have no. a lot of black women that listen to the show. That's no, no, like, no. But geez, no, no. He, here's why. Here's why we are pitched. A light-skinned version of Afrocentricity as being the ideal sure. form of beauty, but to see women of a dark hue, sure. oh man! And and I think that was the beauty of it. And so you saw the tremendous contrast of hues, of colors, of shades, of forms, shape. Man, that that was the beauty of that film. So if it was a light-skinned sister, she could see herself. If it was a dark-skinned sister who had been kissed by the sun two and three times, they could see themselves in a positive light mm -hmm. and not just playing a slave, not yep. just being out on the street as some dude side chick. They saw strong people that looked just like them. That's what, and, and, and my son went and saw it. He walked out inspired. He was like, Dad, I, that really inspired me. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is for me. It's, it's an important film in that regard. I think the debate on women, the debate on women's roles in the film uh, is going to be something that's going to be debated for a long time. But the fact that they were able to have character development. You had black women, dark-skinned black women that had, like, complexity to them. Mm -hmm. like, they, all didn't, they all didn't agree there was, uh, you know, Lapita's character and the general d oh, had different views. I, I, I love the fact that, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you see the so. nuance of her wrestling with sure. the weave. She was like, this isn't me. Yeah. And and so, you know, it, it. you go to Africa now, you see so many African women walking around with weaves in their hair. And I'm like, come on, sisters, be you. It was, it was an impressive film for a number of different reasons. Oh, I loved touched, it. I loved it. Touched on a couple of them. And what you're getting back to, uh, what you did for your community, uh, that's also a, a, an impressive act. Uh, I wanted them to see them. That, for, forget everything else. They needed to see themselves. Let me talk, let's shift gears a little bit mm -hmm. and tell me about you are the first term council member right. of the Ninth District. Right, yes, sir. Tell me a little bit about the, you alluded to it earlier, the hidden gem of the city. <laughs> right. Tell me about the ninth right. District, kind of the borders and the demographics. And then also tell me what you saw um, leading up to you saying, I want to be involved in public service. Like, I want to be the city councilman for this community. This is, you know, this is what I'm seeing. This is what it can be. Right. So a little bit about the demographics and then why you decided to make this move. Ninth District is the gateway uh, to the city from Chesterfield County. So we are right at Midlothian Turnpike, Hall Street Road, Broad Rock. And so if you're coming from Chesterfield County into the city, you will come through the Ninth District uh, all the way uh, right up to Belt Boulevard. That That's the Ninth District. Uh, why did I want to get into this? The Ninth District and really the south side of Richmond is just flat out underserved. We don't get the same resources and opportunities uh, that uh, are given out on the other side of the river. Uh, we don't have one Richmond. We have two Richmonds. We, re we, we really do. You, you can look at the budget. You can look at legislation. You can look at how basic everyday services are rendered. And my whole piece was I want Hall Street to look like Broad Street. Um, and so, so, so that's, and, and again, as a pastor in the area, I've been serving 
the African-American community and the Richmond metro area for, my goodness, going on 17 years now, 10 years, or actually, wow, 12 years at the village. And so I would meet with city officials. I would give them ideas. We were in the courts. We've been in the courts, right? Uh, we have an outreach to them right now where we teach them STEM. We don't, man, I don't believe in just making these kids sweatier. We want to make them smarter. So we take them through STEM education at the village and not just running around and showing them movies and all, this, all these other things. I want to, I mean, we want to really touch their minds. And so, so I could meet with anybody. I met, met Tim Kaine, met uh, your, your former uh, boss, uh, met with the mayor and, and all, of those, all of those people. And no matter what idea it was, they would say, Pastor Jones, that's a great idea. Dr. Jones, that's a wonderful idea. Shut the door and keep doing business as usual. And so I figured, well, you know what? I'll run for city council and they can't shut the door on me after I leave. I'm going to be in a room with them making decisions. And so uh, that, that, that's why I ran. That's why I ran. I, had, I thought I had a pretty good uh, name recognition within the city. Um, and the opportunity arose where... Uh, Michelle Mosby, the former council person, she ran for mayor. Uh, and so I, I saw an opportunity to come in and serve the Richmond metropolitan area a little bit differently. Uh, our district is primarily African-American with a growing population of Latinos. And, man, we've got one school, Green Elementary, that is 90% Latino. And, and, again, the school that they go to is atrocious. Not, not because they are, but because we allow them to go to a school that is flat-out dilapidated. And it wouldn't happen on the other side of the river. What I don't know if you know the exact numbers, but talk to me about that breakdown. What what percentage of your district is African American versus Latino? Man, we, we, we've got roughly about twenty twenty three thousand mm -hmm. uh, uh, that that live within the district. Seventy five to eighty percent is African American. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have five percent that is white, and the rest is Latino, and they are growing. Mm -hmm. They they are growing by leaps and bounds. So, and you alluded to it um, just previously talking about it, but go back a little bit further, just so so I can fully understand your path to public service. Mm -hmm. Did your path to public service start uh, with ministry, or did it start even before that? And public service led you to ministry. How did your path to public service start, as opposed to elected official? I, I understand now how it got to be the elected official, but. Brother, you've had a passion for public service well beyond before you were. I mean, honestly, we'll go all the way back to the University of Colorado and boycotting apartheid. Mm. Uh, that That's how far it goes back. You know, starting captain, uh, you know, of our Big 8 championship, Orange Bowl team. All right, now flex on them now. Flex on them, baby. I'm, I'm a name drop, and you're about to know. know. This I didn't know. This is all new. Um, and so, so here I am challenged by how – African-Americans who make up less than 1% of a student population, so we're talking 300, 324 black students on a campus of 25,000 students, how we're treated. And I saw injustice firsthand. Uh, stood on, you know, the platform with Jesse Jackson as he was running, and, you know, someone yell out, you know, Jesse Jackson, you effing nigger, go home. You know, and I thought it was kind of cool to stand by Jesse until I figured Man, I can get shot standing next to this dude, and you got folk yelling this stuff up off the rooftops. And we had people in masks at our doors the next day throwing rocks at our windows. And, you know, and so, so I came up out of that boycotting the University of Colorado school I played for. Talking about biting the hand that feeds mm. you, 
right? But what they were doing in supporting a racist regime in South Africa was kind of antithetical to who and how we saw ourselves as quote unquote liberals on this college campus. And so for me, that's where it began, where I began to use my platform to speak out. I just wasn't, I just wasn't, you know, the average kid the average black kid in Colorado, man, no, y'all heard my name on, on Saturdays. You know, I wasn't just a bystander. No, I, I helped run this team. I helped build this, this, this program. And so, so it started there, went into ministry, went to seminary, came back to Richmond, uh, man, fell in love with, you know, the writings of Gustavo Gutierrez and his whole liberation theology movement out of South America, man, James Cone out of New York, black liberation theology and just began to soak in all of that about how do we begin to really focus on setting those who are downtrodden free and so it began for me there so seminary working in you know fourth baptist church pastor there up in church hill for about three years and then you know again not not doing enough for the community and so i said you know what we're going to start the village of faith and do this thing differently and so we've been doing ministry different Man, going on 12 years, helping kids, helping families. Man, we give away 30 cars. We've given away, gosh, no, almost 40 cars to single moms. We do that every New Year's. Cars for Christ. We give away cars to single moms that don't have cars. Fast forward to, like, today, now. Mm -hmm. We're in the Ninth District. What are the things that, first and foremost, you would like to see in the Ninth District be improved? How do you go about improving those things? Man, clean, safe neighborhoods. And, and, and I think it's a travesty that I even have to say, I want litter picked up off the streets. Um, I had a meeting yesterday with the CAO, and actually it was later on in this week, but I just took pictures on my morning walk of trash that just lined Hall Street, trash that lined Bryce, uh, Bryce Lane, and, and, and just sat just showed them to her. I said, this can't happen. It, it, this this isn't happening on Monument Avenue. There is a thing called eco-racism based upon where you live, geographical racism based upon where you live, your community will look a particular way. A tree is a tree. I don't care whether it's a tree in Mississippi, Maine, you know, uh, uh, Monument Avenue or Midlothian Turnpike. But it's what we do with that tree, how we enhance that tree, whether we have mulch or rocks and weeds. We'll have rocks and weeds on the 9th District side, but on Monument Avenue, that's about to make me cuss. That stuff will look nice on that side. I mean, that stuff. Hold on that, now. I don't want to get nobody in trouble. I don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. But, but that, that stuff is mulch. You got the yeah. grass clean and it's cut. You don't see you don't see litter. But, man, when I walk down Hall Street today, man, there's nothing but trash out there. And why why does that happen? And let so me, that that's why I'm here. Let me ask a naive question. You just said why does that happen. How, how did it? How, how have we gotten here with a community, a district in our city, how, like, how have we gotten here? Well, what, 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 what was not that white folk don't litter and black folk do. Right. Everyone litters. Right. It's how we address the littering. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it's a broken window theory. If you allow one broken window to mm -hmm. persist, to stay, you're going to have another one and another one. So trash begets trash. So if we allow for litter to be in one part of the city, a person who has a proclivity to litter, oh, they don't care here. And so they throw it out. You clean it up, you take that same litter bug and put them on Monument Ave, like, oh, no, I can't litter on this side of town. Mm -hmm. And so I just want the same mindset from a city services standpoint 
to infuse what we do on the south side. Mm. Now, and as councilman, how do you go about? So let's talk about this too, because your first term, mm-hmm. we're in, we got a first term mayor, right? Uh, the first term mayor who comes in is at. I've had conversations with him, so I know he knows the realities. But he is very aspirational on one Richmond. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 is committed, uh, or he's publicly said he's committed to making Richmond a one Richmond. That's why he wants to use this theme. You've just described the reality of what mm-hmm. we're seeing. How do we get in working with the mayor and working with other city councilmen? How do we get that two to become one? How do you see that coming together, and is that possible? It, it, it is, and it, and it has to be. It's really just put your money where your mouth is. If we're saying that we want one Richmond, which I believe Mayor Stoney truly does, then we need to make sure that we appropriate funds. And the funds that might be needed on Monument Avenue, because, you know, you know again, we, we talk about, you know, equity, you know, equality, uh, um, that – you know, there may be some things that we need a little more of on this side of town based upon where we are, where, where we've allowed uh, the south side to get to. So it may take uh, some special initiatives to get us up to speed and to help clean this district up. And so that's where I come in as city councilman because I'm not responsible for the city services. I simply help budget to make sure that they can carry out their services. So during the budget season, they're going to hear a lot about how the ninth district looks and what they're going to do about it. Are you staffed correctly? Uh, uh, are you managing your 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 line item correctly? And if so, why does my district look the way that it does? And you know, just be vocal enough uh, and stand and 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 beat my chest enough to say, y'all not going to do this to us. It, it's not going to happen. Now you. I don't want people to think, look, people already think I pick on Miami Avenue enough. <laughs> For full disclosure, people know this. But uh, <laughs> yeah. you put in a paper that little is after my own heart in that sense uh, in regards to Confederate uh, monuments in the city of Richmond. Uh, it's something that I thought was common sense and basic logic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you think? <laughs> and, I mean, people people that listen to the show know where I stand on this. Uh However, if you don't, feel free to go to thecheatsmovement.com and see. Um, but, but you put in a paper that only got two votes. Mm-hmm. They got your vote as the mm-hmm. patron of the bill, and I right. believe Ellen Robinson voted for it. Right. Everyone else, and this is the bill that would have allowed, uh, basically, it would have been in a, uh, a paper that would have allowed us to petition the state to have control over our own right. monuments. To challenge the Dillon rule, correct. Right. And so... Um, as we look, you don't have to talk specifically about Monument Avenue, but as we look at the Confederate Monument issue, um, there have been, obviously, there's a commission in place now. A lot of the city council members, I believe, hid behind the commission on that vote, saying let's wait for the commission to finish <laughs> right, their vote. Right. And so this is why they weren't supporting your paper. Right, right. But talk to me a little bit about Confederate Monuments in general, why you felt it was necessary to make a move now uh, on that um, on that proposal and where you see the future of this issue going? Well, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing for me was uh, is that in, inherently the stuff is racist as hell. I mean, flat, flat out. Mm-hmm. Um, and until, you know, Heather died in Charlottesville, 
you know what? Okay, great. It's low. You know, it's not at the top of my priority list. It's not at the top of my agenda, my things to do today list. But you know what? Enough's enough. Someone lost their lives over this nonsense. And we are the hub for, uh, uh, for the Confederate nation. The Confederate statues, the monuments, whatever you want to call them, they were not put up in response to the Civil War. It was put up in response to Jim Crow segregation. It was, period. You will not go anywhere in the world and find a group that rose up against the standing government and find them being lifted up as heroes in modern society. One. Secondly, we will not go to Germany and find any trace of Hitler, of any of his SS Schultz, Heimlich, Himmler, all the, you won't find anything of those guys. You won't find a swastika unless it's being used for historical purposes. But again, because folk are still in power that have that mindset of the oppressor and they love seeing those images to remind them of the way in which things were, they make it okay to have schools named after these Confederate soldiers, to have a, a street, the most affluent street in this city, lined with these monuments. That says something to me. That says something to us on the south side. They're, they're not in the cemetery. They're not right down here on, you know, uh, on Broad Rock. They're on Monument Avenue. And so, I mean, they're, they're racist. It's interesting how, how, how Europeans from Europe that I interviewed with, they get the nonsense of, of the statues. They're like, how the hell does that ha how that <laughs> right, happen? Right. You know. We had a couple. Of, we had uh, several uh, people when we were going through, um, uh, we were going kind of through this process at the time, post-August 12th, uh, and we were on Monument Avenue quite a bit um, shooting a campaign. Right. And um, we would have people come and the international reaction to people that were on Miami Avenue would be like, I just don't get it. You guys I are out of your freaking mind. I don't understand it. You guys but are it, out of your freaking mind. But the funny part was, and, and what some of the counter argument would say was like, well, they were there because they wanted to see it. Right. And it was, it was really interesting because we would have these conversations mm -hmm. on Miami Avenue mm -hmm. about how weird this is. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, there were so many arguments about it's so much in Richmond's identity that literally when you come and people are like, if you're from out of state or out of country or so right. forth and you see Richmond, you're like, you're looking for history. I think one of my, one of the things that always struck me was you can look for history in private places. You can look for history in museums. It was just having the history on Miami Avenue. And how it is. And, and again, if, if you've ever been to London, if you've ever I been have, to London, there, there's a square that has all of the different you know, church statues of Churchill yep. and Thatcher, they want you to touch those. They want you to be able to go and take pictures next to, you know, next to Gandhi and, and Nelson Mandela and Churchill and Thatcher. But these things are lifted up. They're, they're, they're making a statement that this is who Richmond is. And, 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 and I'm sorry, I, I have to, to protest that. That is not 
That may have been who Richmond was, but we cannot see ourselves as that and be one Richmond. That is antithetical to humanity. It's and I mean, because I, I had poor white folk calling me up saying that I was wrong. I'm like, sir, you can't even afford a house on Monument Avenue. You would have fought and died in the Civil War while the people who lived on Monument Avenue celebrated you fighting for them while they just sat back and drank their mint juleps. <laughs> so f tell me how you see this playing out. I have an opinion of my own. I will not share it right now. But but you tell me, how do you think this plays out as we move forward? Oh, we know how it's going to play out. They're going to want to add context. They're going to want to try and put their little story on it and leave them up because no one wants to piss off the rich white folk there. That's right. That's, and when you talk to your other city councilman, your city council colleagues about this issue, I'm sure they don't say it as, as frankly as you do. Yeah. But what do you – I mean, do well, you I mean think they're, they're going to hide behind different things. Is, they're going to be political, and I, I don't blame them. Uh, you know, I, I don't blame my colleagues. I mean, if, if I, I'm sure, well, they're lucky that I'm not second district uh, uh, council person. They're lucky because I would still support those things coming down. I, I don't care. It, it's wrong. You can't make something racist right. You just can't. It, it, you, you can't outlive that stain. You can't. Let's switch gears just a little bit more. Look, we went from one hop and we to are going, another. man. We going from Black we went, Panther. We went, you really we want to go from Black we Panther went, to monuments? We went, we, Wakanda yeah, we, forever. We no, went just kidding. From one to another. <laughs> yeah. but, and we will uh, spend less time on this because the vote is already over. But right. obviously, um, the meals tax debate was right. the, the other week, and, and the meals tax passed. Uh, the meals tax increase had passed. We talked about it on the last episode. Um, however. You supported the meals tax. You course. thought it was the right thing to do. Yep. Um, I, and and yeah, go, go ahead and ask your question. I'll, I'll hold my I'll do, it'll be yeah. It'll be a little bit too, too both. Why uh, did you support the meals tax in that way? And, and now that we are starting to hear, um, I don't know if it's rumors or it's actually official papers on things like the cigarette tax or other elements, do you, you know, where, where do we see that going? Well, I mean, the, the reality is this. Let, let me say this. City council members, several of us knew about the Mills tax months before. Months before the actual introduction of the paper. Okay. You know, people said, we haven't what, heard it. Yeah, which, which is different than what we heard at the actual meeting on Monday, right? We, 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 I knew. We, we, members on council okay. knew. And so my thing to your listeners, if your council person didn't know, What's their relationship with the mayor? Because all of us sit down and meet with the mayor. What the hell are y'all sitting in there talking about with the mayor while y'all are in there? That's an interesting question, though. And let me let me ask that, too, because shouldn't everyone on city council have the same information? We so have, you're we saying have they have the to same them. opportunity so, to so, have it, but... I have to, I, have to, I have to go with the fact okay. that some of my colleagues said they did not know. Right. Absolutely. Several. And some of us did. And so the question is, why did they not know? Okay. Because I knew. Several of us knew. Mm. Enough of us knew. Could it have been strategic? Like they knew you were going to support it, so Stoney called talk to you first? Well, Stoney didn't know I was going to support it until he asked me. <laughs> and let, let's just be real. I mean, right. you know, let, just, let's, let's just be real. Right. You know, he, he found, and, and again, that, 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 that's my piece on council. I'm not this political entity that's trying to, no, I'm just trying to get stuff done for my district and bring resources and opportunities to the 9th District, which we are doing by the millions. Mm. Um, but but I knew about that. I also knew about the fact that I need two schools in my district. My little babies are being sent out of this district in middle school, which is 
ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, we won't have a high school, and I understand that I'm fine with kids having to travel for high school, but elementary and middle school, those schools need to be in the neighborhood. And so, so, so we knew, I knew about the Mills tax, and, and, and I supported it because here's the reality. When the first Mills tax was introduced for arts, you didn't see the public outcry. You didn't see the restaurateurs lining up in droves to say, how, how, how dare you raise our meals tax? It was because of who was going to benefit from the meals tax. They didn't look like us. The people that, I mean, this is for the Carpenter Center. Mm -hmm. You know, this is for the arts, right? And so, and, and, and I support the arts. Don't get that, don't, don't get it wrong. But you didn't see the same outcry. But now folk are upset. Now folk need more information. Now folk need more time. But before y'all didn't. I think, I think part of that, and like I said, uh, again, I was on record last week as supporting it. I didn't see any problem right, with right. it. Um, just, uh, just trying to figure out the little nuance of their devil's yeah. advocate argument to see how you address it. Um, the argument was now they're going back to the well. Right, like so, and I and I and I alluded to this last, um, I alluded to this last episode where I think this current administration was being punished because previous mayors had made deals and didn't live up to those deals. So, for example, if you said the first meal takes increase was for paying off debt to the center stage building, and so if Wilder made a deal, right, then Jones says Wilder makes a deal that says this is temporary. Jones makes a deal that says. Well, you know what? We're looking at the budget. We need this money. This temporary thing is gone. No, Wilder entered the sunset. Wilder said, "I, I believe. I believe." Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, and I'm and I'm just theory. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, this is yeah, all theory yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, take the names out of it. But basically, now I think the the challenge from some were, well, it wasn't temporary before. They're going back to the well. They're hitting us again. Uh, now and again, the outcomes. To me, the outcomes are well worth it. Oh, most definitely. So, so, uh, but, but I think your your argument was where was the outcry before? I think the 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 argument could be now they're asking for a different thing. They're going back to a well where they didn't uphold the end of their bargain. The first no, time. no, no. Don't get it twisted. Okay. Don't get it twisted. This is I I think you are. I think hip hop is somewhere within how you understand yourself. Hip hop is understand it. Well, yeah, understand everything. But 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 the reality is this: there's a reason why they didn't fight that first. Meals tax. Ah, that's yeah, come on now, that's come on now. This is politics. This Ooh, is politics. Probably. There's a reason why they didn't fight it. You go back and look at who supported the meals tax sure. and who wanted it to happen, not in government but in the community. Mm -hmm. Go back and look at that. Mm -hmm. That will define and explain why it wasn't risen. And, and, and here's another thing: we got to let the mayors off the hook. Wilder and and, and Jones and then all these other folks. They can't do anything without five votes. Mm -hmm. they, they, can't, they, they can't do anything So I mean And how long have current council members Been on city council And all the people that were out in the audience Yelling and they were on council At one point in time Come on man Those are some of my favorite public comments I, I'm just saying you know, yeah, yeah but, but, but you, you were there You were there and voted for it So, so, so 10 years from now 10 years from now I'm going to stand by my votes Because they were the right thing to do at this time with the information that we have. Now, the reality is this. This money is going to go to schools. What about what about things like cigarettes? What about things like, do we apply new, I mean, do we apply more? Well, I mean, come on, man. Let's be real. And, and no one else wants to have a real, real conversation about the cigarette tax. And, and, and I'm just, that's why I love 
representing the South Side, man, because I get to be real. And they they appreciate my realness because I'm going to speak truth to power. You know, and, and I, I I love Parker Angelesto. I, I love his mind. He is a smart – I mean, Matt, he is doing some good things. And he asked me, you know, what about the cigarette tax? And I said, Parker, you know why it failed the last time and why it's going to fail this time. He said, no, I don't. I'm like, yes, you do. Man, it's Philip Morris. It's Altria. Mm -hmm. Who's going to vote against that? In the city that they helped build. And my, I mean, dude, I've got family that retired from <laughs> from Philip Morris. Don't and, we all? You know, and so we're going to do something against them? Let me let me see how that goes. I'll abstain and see how the vote goes. I don't even have to vote. But now are you telling me – no, no, this is a good point. Because are you telling me that it's, there, it's because – all right, why? Let's just be clear. When you say Philip Morris and not is it because of the number of the people that they employ in the city? Like, why is it that you don't necessarily want to have discussions with them? It's not that we don't want to have discussions with them. It's when you look at who they are in the city. And, and what are they already the contributing? City, like, there's, there's you know, a whole lot of other. I, you you got to look at so many different things. Okay. You know, the number of people they employ. What would it do if they ever decided to leave the city? Right. You know, and we don't want to help them, you know, with that discussion because they could be anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world that they choose to be, you know, but but you have you you have you have that. I mean, so I'm sorry. Do we have a theater named after them? Absolutely. Do we? Several. What's it called? The Outre Theater. My God. Right. So come on now. And, and so 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 so, man, I've got a better chance of getting those monuments torn down than us putting through a cigarette tax. And that's just reality of it. Where do we go now for communities like your district in those schools? Like so, we so the plan obviously the the nine million dollars is supposed to generate one hundred fifty million dollars. Right. We all know that that's not enough. Right. Uh -huh. One of the things that's got to be paramount to everyone that's involved is understanding that they are not done now. Right. They've got right. much more to do. Right. Exactly. What is the future of? kind of education on the south side education in your district how do you what do you need how do you go about getting it? you know you know so many people look at life as black and white and either or you know for me it has to be both and you know we we, we have to secure this so we can start right now right and then we need to look at you know inefficiencies and things of that nature uh, and, and i'm sorry we we, we don't have 10 million dollars of efficiencies inefficiencies rather in 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 the city or on the school board we, we just don't we, we just don't uh and if we did it's not going to generate that same money year after year after year after year as you realize those savings and so so we we need net new dollars we don't need to rob peter to pay paul and again you know i'm sorry <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be i'm trying to be cool cheat i, I really am <laughs> I'm not trying, and I'm not trying to get you in trouble. I'm, I'm really I, trying I, to be I'm cool about this it. Interview. But but most of the folk, most of the people, most of the people that are fine with waiting, most of the people that are fine with, hey, let's look for the money. They don't live on the south side. They schools are all right right now. Fifth district is cool right now. You know, and so I mean, don't 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 get me started. Let these folk, <laughs> let these folk come over to the ninth district and eighth district and look at the conditions of our schools. Let them look at it and let them look at the kids and the color of their skins. And that's why they're fine with waiting. We can't wait. We need to build it. Then we need to, con yeah, we do we need to streamline what we do at City Hall? Yeah, we do. We need to do both and, not either or.
one thing about we're, and we're gonna get you out of here. This is this is Councilman Michael Jones. We can I, I do, do the public enemy count now, or, right. or, or, or you know, right. or the notorious BID no, no, count. No, no, no. This is uh, Councilman Michael Jones of the Ninth District. Uh, if you're joining us midstream, let me uh, conclude with a little bit on the on the positive side, because again, a lot of people may not be familiar with the Ninth District. Right. They may not be familiar with you as an individual in your ministry. The people that are listening here. Um, you alluded to your your children, young children. I'm assuming you were saying no. They're no. They're, they're they're getting older. Okay. They, they were they were old when they were ten. <laughs> Let them tell the story. Them jokes were smart. Talk to talk to me a little bit about kind of uh, because I, I I had not received a calling right in that sense. I'm right. obviously I had a church over. But one of the things, and being in public service and also being in ministry as well, talk to me a little bit about how you make your decisions, your thought process. And, and uh, I think that's important. Are there any types of things that you wrestle with being a public elected official and also someone that is leading a, a congregation? As far as in how I vote? I just as far as in how you approach the things, like uh, how, you approach your, how you approach your votes. Well, and, and, and here's the thing, you know, people that say, People that can live compartmental, you know, compartmentalized lives scare me. They, they really do. Um, because it's hard to lay down your presuppositions. Mm-hmm. It, it just is, unless you're just going to be open and just lay them down and say, hey, here's where I really am. And this is why I'm going to do what I do. So for me, um, and, and, and this is going to sound so corny and so cliche, at a young age that I wanted to change the world, that I wanted to be someone that would impact the lives of others in a positive way. I went to the University of Colorado and I just saw the world was going to hell in a handbasket, so let me get paid. But then, you know, God kind of brought me full circle back to my destiny where, man, I still had this urge to wanna help, you know, wanna help other people to improve lives. And so for, for me, I wanted to use my platform and who Michael Jones is, whether he's big, small, middle, whether he's just Jocelyn and Jalen's dad or whatever, I wanted to use everything that I had at my disposal to improve the lives of others. So whether it's coaching my daughter's middle school basketball squad, because you know what, I wanted to make sure someone didn't put her in the post, but then you know what, I wanna make sure all the other girls get exposed to college life, or whether it was coaching my son and doing the same thing. I want to help make people's lives better. Being on city council, it gives me access to different things that go on in the city, in the state, and how do I bring that here to the South Side? At the Village of Faith, uh, I remember campaigning, and I was at a South District, South Side, Ninth District meeting, and you know I was telling about all the things that my church was doing on the East End, and this one sister, this one grandmother, she was like you need to bring some of that stuff to the South Side because we have issues too. And I promised her, I said, look, if, if I'm elected, I'll make sure you know, some of the outreach my church does that we'll do it you know, on South Side. And so for me, it infuses everything that I do. My son, uh, my, my son right now, he is uh, one of the, he, he's the top 10 quarterback in the country. Um, he attends uh, St. Francis Academy, which is the oldest black Catholic school in the country, uh, in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, they, they recruited him to come up and play last year. Um, and the boys just off the charts good. We go to Ohio State next week. Uh, my daughter is a sophomore 
at UNC Chapel Hill on athletic scholarship. She's going to graduate uh, uh, next May, so she'll graduate college in three years uh, and still have two years to play. Um, and so even with them, dad wants to be in a position to help my kids, but I want my kids to be in position to help those around them. So everything that I do right now, man, my family is huge uh. because even what I did at the Black Panther premiere, my own kids couldn't go. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to make sure other people's children could go because mine can't be here. So let me open the door for all of these other kids to come hang out. And, my and I think we need a little bit more of that as mm -hmm. we look into society, right? Mm -hmm. Not just uh, in community, but I think if we had a little bit more understanding of what other families and other other children are going through. They mm -hmm. don't necessarily not have to be your own. Right. Uh, right. Then I think we'd be better off. We're going to have to wrap it there, Councilman Jones. Right. Uh, it is a pleasure. Here's a, here's a, here's something that will end with this. If you had a recommendation for me to visit anywhere in the 9th District, we're at the Southside Community Center now, but say, you know, like I just said, I don't get to the 9th District very much. If you wanted me to see something, say, Cheats, you have to see this. It would be, you need to see Southside Community Center on a Saturday um, when the Southside Ducks are in full swing and you see so many black dads out here cheering their kids on. I'll make you a deal. You may not know this about me, but I'll make you a deal. We're going to get the cameras. I don't know if you've ever seen the site before, but photography is very heavy on, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. on, the, on, the, on the site. I'll make you a deal. You tell me what Saturday to come what we need to take pictures of and see, and I'll post it up on the site we'll a visit do. with you. Will do. We'll All right. Do. Well, do you know next tell time? Can I tell you, your viewers or your listeners? Yeah, how, how absolutely. Look, look, y'all follow me, Michael Jones, on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter, at Dr. J-R-V-A-9, that's D-R to the J-R-V-A, the number 9-T-H, Dr. J-R-V-A-9. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you. All right, and we'll be back with our music picks. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We'd like to thank our guest, Councilman Michael Jones of the 9th District. We want to thank our sponsor, 804 RVA, just one of the best co-working spaces in Richmond, encouraging entrepreneurs. They're located right on Broad Street. Make sure you check them out. Gigi Broadway, it is that time. Oh, yeah. It's time for our music picks, Chief. It is time for our music picks. Who do you got? Well, in honor of all of our Black Panther excellence, I think I'm going to go with uh, Cut Off the Black Panther soundtrack. Let's let's go with Kendrick Lamar and SZA with All Star. Kendrick Lamar and SZA with All Star is your pick. It is a great pick. It is a great video, even though there's some controversy behind the video. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit of controversy behind the video, and they need to pay that artist their, her money. Uh, but it is a great, great video. In addition, I'm going to go with my music pick, and we're going to keep it a little more local. Shout out to Joey Gallo, Cole Hicks, Jay Clyde, Golden Chariots. Make sure you check that out. Joey Gallo has been doing his thing for a long time. Yes. He's, I mean, he's, he's, he's my guy. He really gets in. They got a little short project just to uh, kind of set the stage, if you will. Joey, Joey told me that he's setting the stage for what's to come in 2018. And huge shout out to Cole Hicks, who's been RVA Lyricist Lounge. She did the Lyricist Lounge. She did the Lyricist Lounge freestyle at the VMFA. 
she's getting it in and she's making it happen. So shout out to Cole Hicks for doing her thing as well. Definitely. Make sure you check out Golden Chariots. We're going to play a little bit of that right now. And we're going to take you out. This is the Chief Movement on WRR, GG Broadway. Until next time. We see it. We see it. Imagine bullets hitting moms like, look at your watch, that's the type of time we on. They say it ain't no greater sickness in this world than the lack of love. Guess that explains what the hating does. Like would be facing us. They say it ain't no greater sickness in this world than the lack of love. And that hate just steady chasing us. Yes, yeah, still, look what we made of us.